So welcome to the King's Podcast. Uh, what we'll be doing over a good few episodes is sort of having a bit of a deep dive into what's been taught on a Sunday, particularly in the book of the in the book of Kings, questions that are arising for people within the church and just an opportunity to, for further reflection. So my name's Nick, I've got Jamie Singleton with me, I've got John Singleton with me, and I've got Simon, John T and Lydia. And these guys are part of a bigger group who have been working through sort of studying the book of Kings figuring out what to teach, what we feel that God has been saying. So this is the first episode. Uh, we've got a few questions that have come in from people as we've looked at the first few chapters of One Kings on a Sunday morning. And I thought before we get into the questions, uh, this is a good opportunity just to start with why we're looking at Kings in the first place. And we decided it would be good to study Kings at this time because we wanted to take an extended time looking at the scripture in a rawer way. Uh, we've noticed that the demographic of the church has changed quite considerably over the last few years. Uh, many people who would be with us on a Sunday morning wouldn't necessarily know the stories of the Bible that well, uh, haven't necessarily grown up going to children's ministry and, and reading the Bible. And naturally, with that said, the Bible can be quite intimidating. So we hope to kind of use the Book of Kings as a, as a topic that we can all look at together without expecting sort of prior knowledge. And also, uh, the church studied the Book of Kings 20 years ago, and we found that that series was really rich. We found that God was highlighting on a Sunday loads of things that became directly applicable to what we were facing as a people kind of a few days later. So we're really expecting that God will be speaking to us in a similarly relevant way at this time. Just to be clear, this isn't necessarily a Bible study where we follow every single bunny trail that the scripture might throw up. We're looking at what is relevant for the people in front of us and trying to get the word of God for the people in front of the room. So yeah, like I said, there's been a small group that's been studying the Book of Kings together and we've slowly been converting that studying into teaching material. And we found along the way that there's so much stuff that comes out of each chapter, more than necessarily we have to share on a Sunday and more than we necessarily feel is relevant. So um, we might be able to get into some of that stuff today. But we've had a few questions come in. Um, so we'll get stuck in with the questions. Like I say, I'm here with a few people who will be sharing their thoughts and we'll have a little bit of a discussion around it. So I'm going to get straight to question number one. And the question is, so in chapter one, when Bathsheba and Nathan decide to talk to David about how Solomon should become the king, it came across to someone who was listening as a bit like they were scheming. Um, and when it was spoken about on a Sunday, though, we kind of emphasised more the point that they, they were doing what God had asked them to do. So this person would like clarification on whether that 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 kind of part of the story where Bathsheba and Nathan go to David and, and, and tell him that Solomon should be king, that he promised this already. Someone wants clarification on whether that was actually something that God had asked them to do. Um, and then when thinking about application, even if God has said something should happen, 
there is still a right way and a wrong way to go about it happening still. So this person wants us to talk a little bit about whether Bathsheba and Nathan went about that in the right way and whether it was even the right thing to do. So would anyone like to kick us off with that question? Um, yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting question. It's one that we spent quite a bit of time over because Bathsheba and Nathan kind of refer to when speaking to David that didn't you promise you've already promised that it's going to be Solomon that's going to succeed you now we couldn't find in scripture where that promise was made it maybe it did happen and it wasn't recorded on maybe it didn't happen we're not exactly sure because you could look at it as a um, almost a copy of what's uh, Rachel and Jacob did to trick Isaac, their father, out of um, well, out of who was going to take on the be- blessing and the birthright yeah. from from Esau. And so, some commentators have suggested this this is scheming from the mother and the the child again. I don't think the scripture really makes it clear one way or the other. I think you could explore it from from either direction. So we kind of took it from the angle of looking at the wisdom in how they presented the issue before David um, and kind of honouring and recognising his position and believing that as long as he's still in the seat, he's the one that has the anointing to make the decision. So I think it's a, it's a good question and it could have been scheming. I just don't think we can know for sure. Um, Yeah, I think especially because if we look at verse 14, Bathsheba actually says, while you're still there talking to the king, I will come in and add my word to what you have said. Like this for me is when I really thought she was scheming, especially because we're told if we have a problem with someone that we first of all go to them alone and then we bring someone else and go to them together. And actually Bathsheba's doing almost the opposite because she's going to him and saying, you go in and then I'll come. So I think definitely we can say, the way she goes about it is against maybe how we would deal with problems. But yeah, that's, I mean, really with this question, as I was reading, I was thinking, "Mm, I thought the same. Mm. (laughs) So, yeah. Whilst we don't believe that the end justifies the means, we have to reflect on the fact that what they said was in fact true and came to pass. And it's just thinking about it. It's quite interesting, isn't it? How, the Bible seems fairly com- comfortable in not making it clear. The fact that, and we'll see this in, in some other questions, the fact that you can read it in two, in, in two different ways. So I think that's an interesting thing to consider. Okay, so then the next question someone had is, and just to be clear, this is we're, we're looking at chapter one of One Kings and these questions particularly. I'll read the question and then I'll I'll clarify a little bit. So it says, you spoke about how prophetic words aren't there to make you feel valuable. They should bring about action. Just to clarify a little bit, as as we saw this question, we felt to make it clear that prophetic words are not just about making you feel warm and fuzzy necessarily, but they should and do make you feel valuable because God is speaking over you. So I just wanted to... Um, clarify that but someone's a bit of a tangent but I'm curious do you think that there are certain topics that shouldn't be broached with prophetic words should we be seeking prophetic words for people more 
consciously and how do we know something is a prophetic word so nice easy questions uh, there <laughs> would anyone like to share their thoughts on that well the biblical basis for prophetic words is that they have to be weighed um, so it can't be the bringer of it or the receiver of it alone that determines that this is this is the word of God so if we follow the biblical pattern yes it's good um, and the scripture says to to seek earnestly spiritual gifts um, but also within the, the the lines of confines that uh, are laid down in scripture John can I just ask a, a question uh, so you said about prophetic words being weighed and from what you said so that would seem to involve more than the person giving the prophecy and the person receiving that's what the, that's what the bible says let others so with and by weighing it is that just sharing this is what someone has spoken what do you think or should we should we can we pray this through together what would that process could, of weighing could be either i mean clearly if something is contrary to the scripture you throw it out mm. straight away um but uh yeah, it can be, you know, we prophesy in part, so mm. it could be part and there's something else to be added into it. I think it's there's a variety of ways, mm. but uh, I think the idea of keeping it as a, a sort of secret thing in the closet uh, doesn't seem to me to tie up with what the Word of God says, the way we handle the prophetic. Okay, thank you. And I, I think also... I mean, Dad's talking from 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty nine when he's talking about weighing. And um, I think sometimes we can give each other scriptures that we, that to encourage. And that's absolutely right. We should do that. There's plenty of verses that talk about encouraging and building each other up. But there is a difference between giving someone a scripture and a prophetic word because if you give someone a scripture it doesn't need to be weighed because it's very clearly already the word of god mm -hmm. so often a prophetic word will take us into a slightly different place than just just quoting um, a bible reference which is therefore why it needs to be weighed and sought through but with all prophetic words in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 it's talking about they're, they're therefore strengthening, encouraging and comforting and so that's what we want to be able to do and so one of the subsequent questions there was should we be more keen or more proactive in seeking prof prophetic words like well I can't make prophetic words come I can be open to God but if my heart is to want to strengthen, encourage and comfort the people that God has joined me with that I love, then yeah, I, I want prophetic words. I want any gift that God would give me that could be part of strengthening the body. Mm. I think that rather than define, define it down to prophetic words, uh, that asking the question, having the desire, Lord, what do you want here? What What is your way? What is the thing that you'd have me to do? Uh, that constant consciousness to say that we should be led by his spirit is vital mm. just the first part of that question was do you think that there are certain topics that shouldn't be broached with prophetic words there's not an example there 
Um, but I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on that. Simon? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> recently I was given a prophetic word. And I think it, it initially it was like a warm, glowy feeling. But I think it's the responsibility of it. Um, the word given to me has empowered me. Mm. And in itself, there was a responsibility there that I had to actually act on it and not just hold on to it. I think that's a, an encouragement for people that if you do get a prophetic word, I don't think you can be worried about it. I think you will, I think like what John said, you will know mm. if it's if it's from God. Mm. And, and then it's just you having to act on it and, and being faithful to God, even if it leads you into um, unsafe territory or, or like out of your comfort zone. I think that's one of the things it will do. Yeah. So it's it's about encouraging you and strengthening you as well. Cool. In terms of topics not to touch, I wouldn't. I don't know if the scripture doesn't put a restriction on it. I wouldn't want to put a restriction on it. But there are ways in which you can do things. So I've been in a meeting where there was someone that operated in the office of the prophet was asking quite personal questions of people in the audience about the state of their relationships and then prophesying off the back of that. I think, well, it's not great for everyone else to hear those that line of questions. It's quite personal. Mm. And I think you've got to be sensitive and delicate with, even if you've got a gifting, that who, who needs to know this, in what setting, if it's what, what treats the person with, with respect. Mm. Cool. Okay, so next questions focus more on chapter two and onwards. So in chapter two, there's a lot of uh, killing and death that takes place. And someone wants to know, was God okay with all this killing? I would say definitely not. Um, I mean, at this point, they already had the commandments and it was quite clear about not killing. Um, and I think it's important to think about what Jamie said in his talk that this is one of the history books of the Bible. So just because it's recorded doesn't mean that it has God's approval. At the same time, there is question around some of the killings, particularly ones that David didn't do. And David then passed on and said to Solomon, but make sure you get rid of this person because I wasn't able to. So there is a question around it. I definitely don't think it means that we can go around <laughs> killing people. Um, yeah. I think we have to remember that there's a huge difference between the the operation under the law in the Old Testament and the operation under the grace and spirit of God in the New Testament. Do I think God was pleased? No, but under the under the old law uh, and things that you read there, there seems to be almost. I don't know whether I'd say an acceptance of it, but it's very, very different. Mm. And uh, I think the thing that stands out to me is, wow, I'm glad that I wasn't living under the Old Testament <laughs> and I'm very grateful for the New Covenant. Mm. I mean, when, when you look at some of the old laws, uh, the Leviticus laws, the amount of instruction to resolve something by stoning someone to death and things like that it's like this just does not f it it's 
one, it's difficult to get in, in our context and our culture, but also of what we know of the, the nature and the heart of God. And it is one of those really complicated things that sometimes God works with us within our limitation. And you see it when um, Jesus being questioned by some of the teachers of the law about what was in Moses' law about um, divorce. And Jesus said, yeah, well, this was put in there because of the hardness of your hearts. And so there's a willingness of God almost to drop the ideal in order to relate to us because we weren't ever going to step up to the ideal. But once you bring in the new covenant and the release of the spirit of God that enables us to live how he wants when we choose to collaborate with the spirit, it's a whole different context. So when Jesus is saying, before you thought it was wrong to um, commit adultery, now I'm saying it's wrong for you to even look at a, another woman. It's like He's just raised the stakes, raised the bar of what has been demanded. You think, but if you're struggling to keep the first law, like what Jesus is asking is way beyond, but that's because the release of the Spirit completely transforms the, the playing field. Mm. With the law of the Old Testament, you get punishments. Mm. Under the grace of the New Testament, you get forgiveness and an ability to live differently. Yeah, I'd say, um, just like, like Jamie was saying, that the, the degree and the severity of these laws would just be like impossible to live, to honor God through. Um, and I think with that, you can see a signpost to why Jesus was so necessary um, and that can point you towards the the cornerstone of our faith um, and and we can um, be thankful that we live on this side of the cross um, so it's a different standard now but I think there's still lessons that we can learn from these books and hence why we're, we're looking through them um, and I think you can start to see um, the the King Solomon and David discerning what is kind of the lesser of two evils maybe and and cases where killings may be uh, deemed as necessary um, and some which shouldn't be and should be punished and you can see that when we've been looking at Joab um, and his relationship with the throne sometimes he's given permission to kill um, and other times he's been punished for it so um, I think yeah there's still lessons to be learned. Well that leads us quite nicely on to the next well it's actually a comment that someone made so one of the people who is killed in chapter two is Joab, uh, who was David's army commander, essentially. Um, and David, he's one of the one of the ones on David's list that he gives Solomon, get rid of him, basically. Uh, someone's comment is a number of commentaries actually suggest that Solomon was right to kill Joab where he stood. So what happens is Joab realizes what's going to happen and he runs to the the altar and, and grabs the horns of the altar in what seems to be quite a clearly he thinks it's going to help him in some way um but it doesn't he's killed there there in that place uh this was actually as an example kind of one of the bunny trails that we really explored of like okay where why is he grabbing the horns of the altar where what what scripture is there for this and and we jumped kind of all over the place but yeah, so someone wants us to kind of comment, as they've said, well, a number of commentaries actually suggest that Solomon was right to kill Joab where he stood, grabbing the horns of the altar. Would anyone want to share their thoughts on that? 
my my initial response to that is this is one of the things that is wonderful and also disturbing about the scripture that two different people can read the same verse and be taken in two completely different directions but one doesn't have to be wrong for the other to be right and um, even when we were studying this 20 years ago, we're looking back at our notes and realising, oh, we f- we're feeling to take it a different direction this time. And I think that's part of the way that God, God works. And I think it's a challenge to, to realise, yeah, there's, God can speak many different things in many different ways to many different people, all from the same, the same song sheet. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, again, um, similar to, to that previous question, that um, the purpose of these kings were to guide God's people um, towards making the right decisions under a law which was impossible to follow um, and impossible to agree with. So you can argue that the king, um, King Solomon was right to kill Joab, um, but equally there might have been people that followed him that thought he was wrong. And that's again points you to this the living under the law and how impossible that is at the time um and again is yeah another signpost to jesus and why he was so needed for god's people cool so kind of linking in linking in with this as we're sort of reading and thinking about all this killing that's taking place uh, very different to what we're we're living in now so someone has a question how are we to apply this ancient text where the culture is so vastly different from ours. And the killing is not the only aspect of that. We're reading something, this would have taken place at least 3,000 years ago, are we looking at? some A long time. So what does application of something so different culturally to us, what does application actually look like? I think it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, but we do have to come back to the the basic thing is that God speaks to us through his word. So the question really is not so much, I think, how do we apply the the, 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 the workings of the law, as it were, in, in this um, new covenant that we have through Jesus, as against, so is there something that God is saying to us? So... I'm drawing a difference between delving into the deeper meanings of how it could be or how we take that to say, Lord, is there something that you're saying to us through this? If there is, great. And if there isn't, move on quickly. I think what I I found that question really helpful um, when I was teaching and I particularly honed in on the idea of, yes, there, there isn't the the blood on the floor like there was in those in that chapter in Kings but we are in a shame and honour culture when it comes to social media and cancel culture where there is a absolute destruction of those that that have misdemeaned in some variety and our culture does not uh, know the answer to the question of what does forgiveness look like within a cancel culture, what does restoration look like and rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. But yet we are called, just like the children of Israel, were called to be a, to be different within that culture, within that mm-hmm. world. And by the work of the spirit that lives within us, we can be the salt and the light that is different. Mm-hmm. 
And the big choices, are we willing to allow God to make us different when the temptation is to want to replicate what else is around us and stay under the radar? And even if you think about how the kings were even came about for Israel, it wasn't the intention to have kings, but the people looked around and saw the other nations had kings. So they said, we want kings like the other nations. But God had said, I want to make you different so that others will come towards you, so I can show the world, model to the world, how I want to invite you into the community of the, the Trinity and to, be, to operate with my authority and power to rule and, uh, and show the world what I'm like. But we have the choice every day. Do we, are we willing to stand out and be his representatives to serve on his behalf, or do we just want to fit in? So, next question. Conditional rewards were spoken about. The idea that if you do this, God will do this for you. How do we balance that with grace and that sometimes we fail to do things? The person sending this question said, I don't think God then necessarily punishes us, but does that mean that the reward is not possible? And also, sometimes we're trying to live right, and bad things still happen, or what we expect God to do doesn't happen. So how do we balance all of these realities? I'm doing like a Bible reflection with my um, house group on this Kings. And one of the things we talked about was that when we get blessed, when we get blessings, it's not necessarily our reward, that we're blessed irrespective of our actions. We're blessed because we're children of God. Mm. We're blessed because we have the Holy Spirit. Um, what we necessarily want or desire and ask for is not necessarily what God wants for us. And sometimes we can expect those things. And when we don't get them, we feel that we're not being rewarded. However, we are blessed. Mm. And it's, there's times that it's hard to, to understand what blessing is. Um, speaking to people that have been on the, the journeys to and places like that they come back with a different understanding of what blessing is and I think it's just for us as a people to get into the habit of trusting that we are blessed and our rewards what we ask for is not necessarily anything to do with the blessing from God so then in terms of growing in the gift of discernment someone asks is that a gift available to everyone how do we go about growing in that gift in terms of whether it's available to everyone I think everyone is able to ask for it and God gives when he gives and we can't you know we don't have much control over that I think we can always ask I think it's always a good thing to ask for um and discernment might look like different things for different people actually we're going to speak about this in the next episode of how Solomon uses God's wisdom to discern a situation and I think we yeah we're going to look at that next Sunday but I think we can all ask for gifts whether or not we get them we can't say just backing up on that I think it, the Bible teaches that God gives sovereignly according to his will um, but sometimes sometimes God begins to quicken a desire in you for something he wants you to do somewhere he wants you to go uh, or a gift that he's going to 
give you so that you might earnestly desire the best gifts. Mm. So, yeah. Let me just put a question. So we see that the gift of discernment is a gift of the Spirit. So if you're not filled with the Spirit, would you expect you that you wouldn't have, therefore, the gift of discernment? Yeah. And therefore, can we... Would, would it be right to expect that people without the infilling of the Spirit would not be able to discern? Correct. It feels like the second part of the question, I, I'm kind of reading it, it says, uh, how do we go about growing in it? That makes me wonder if saying, if I feel like, if I get the sense that I have this gift of discernment, how do I actually use it, learn to, to operate in it? Do anyone have any thoughts, John T? Um, well, yeah, if you, if you take discernment as um, understanding what will be right and wrong, then you need to know what's right and wrong. So um, if you believe um, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then you have the gift of discernment already. And to mature in that, then you need to mature in your knowledge of uh, the wisdom of God. So reading your Bible, um, praying and encountering God, being able to practice that. Um, and the more and more times that you do that, um, then I guess you'll get more familiar to God's voice and you'll be able to pick out parts of the Bible that you deem relevant to this particular point. You can weigh it up with people older than you or people more mature in their faith than you. Um, I think all of that will help, yeah. I think there's a biblical principle that those that are faithful with little will be given more. So as we respond well, we act on what God shows us, I think it will actually lead to us being sharper in in discernment going forward mm-hmm. cool so final uh comment for this uh, first episode uh, and it has been alluded to in a few ways even in this conversation but someone just said it's important to see how these old testament stories point to jesus who comes about a thousand years later in the actual chronology of the story so does anyone have any comments just to make on that that sense of it's important to see how these Old Testament stories point to Jesus. Yes, definitely. When we started reading Kings, I kept asking Jamie, who's the hero? (laughs) You know, who is, which character is it here that I should sort of be tracking and making judgments based off what they do? And I think that's really for me, what has unlocked Kings for me is seeing that the whole story points to him and points to this need for a Messiah. It kind of, Every time one of these kings rises up and fails, it confirms even more this need for God to send his son, for Jesus to come for us. And I think particularly with Solomon, you know, he's... And even if you think about David as well, you know, we call them heroes of the faith. In some ways they do amazing things, but ultimately they can't fulfill... They can't bridge that divide between us and God. And I think that's really why I love to read the Old Testament is because it points it points to Jesus it points to this need for him cool all right well that was that was really really good great to hear everyone's thoughts just before we wrap up um so we've gathered together as a group and others who who can't necessarily be here today have gathered at different points um to sort of read through together and, and kind of see what God's saying for us is there anything that stood out to anyone in the room today just in terms of being part of this process so far um have you learned anything just about god or the bible or 
or the way in which um, we're approaching it. Um, starting this uh, study group or the Bible studies on Kings, um, I've never been, I've never really read the Old Testament in a study way. It was enlightening to realize that all the stories are about God and they're not about the people in the stories. And it's about God's faithfulness trying to connect with us all through time from the beginning, being faithful to us and giving us opportunity that we always seem to fail at. But he's still with us and he's still giving us that. And that's just refreshing. I feel like that's probably a good place to to call it a day. Everyone, thank you very much. And we will be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys.